Welcome back to the Zest for Life podcast. This is episode three. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Spencer. And for this episode, we're going to be focusing on how do we nurture romantic relationships. In episode one, we talked about exploring happiness in the different sort of domains of well-being. And one of the most salient findings with all the research on well-being is that the number one predictor of someone's overall subjective happiness is the quality of their most intimate relationships. Think about it. Of all the things that potentially make a person happy, all the different things that we pursue in our life, all the things that we're trying to engage with, the number one thing that predicts overall well-being and satisfaction in life is the quality of those important relationships. And just because they are the largest source or the biggest contributing factor to someone's overall happiness doesn't mean that we always intuitively know what to do in relationships, nor does it mean that we make it the priority that it should be in our life. Now, that research talks about relationships in general, and that can be, you know, family relationships, or it can be, you know, relationship with parents or children or with your best friends. But today we're specifically going to talk about relationships within a romantic context. So specifically someone that you're actively choosing to partner with. And it's kind of funny because when you start thinking about how many romantic comedies there are, and it's always the initial love story. It's about, you know, falling in love. But there's actually like not a lot of like representation in the media about, well, what do we do with the relationships we currently have? So it's one thing to like fall in love, but it's a different skill set to be able to sustain a marriage, to sustain love. And so the purpose of today is really how do I nurture and enrich the relationship I have? And I think that's a really important question because the desire to be partnered in a relationship is nearly universal. In a recent study published by the National Center for Family and Marriage Research indicates that 95% of high school seniors report expecting to marry at some point during their lifetime. 95%. That's, that is a significant amount of the population that says, hey, before I truly launch into adulthood, I have the expectations that marriage is going to be part of that journey. And so we've already talked about how marriage is the greatest predictor of happiness and subjective well-being, and that the majority of individuals expect to partner at some time in their lifetime. It doesn't automatically mean that we know how to do it well or that once we're in those relationships, that we're fully equipped. One of the things that stands out to me within my own research is that the quality of our relationships really matter. And relationship satisfaction has been an idea that I've been interested in for a very long time, to try to research, understand, and explore, and to help individuals learn how do I implement specific strategies to increase my overall satisfaction with my relationships. My first year as a professor, I decided to collect some data to try to understand specifically relationship satisfaction. And so like many professors do, we say, ah, students, you need some extra credit, you know, for five extra credit points, share this survey on social media. And that's what I did. And so I partnered with, with a few colleagues and we shared uh, a survey that reached uh, 1,200 people and ultimately 35 states of the United States were represented in this sample. And so some kind of fun generalizability and things were sort of brought to us just based on the sample we're able to collect. But anyways, relationship satisfaction is really kind of defined as your overall 
level of enjoyment within the relationship. Part of it includes how close do you feel to your partner, how emotionally open is the relationship, and just in general, again, just the overall sense of well-being in the relationship. And so within the data I collected and the analysis I've ran, a few interesting things started to emerge with relationship satisfaction. For example, the more satisfied someone is in their relationship, the greater their ability to engage in what's called cognitive reappraisal. Cognitive reappraisal is this great, interesting idea that I'm able to look at my life circumstances and challenge my current perspective and reappraise the situation in a way that provides me with clarity and understanding. Meaning, the happier I am in my relationships, the better I'm able to look at life from a multidimensional point of view. That I'm able to take my own initial thoughts and explore alternative things to explain why certain things are the way they are. Or, in really simple terms, it helps us see the glass being half full more often. Another interesting thing to emerge is that relationship satisfaction is tied to something called relationship efficacy. And relationship efficacy is simply the idea that we have different confidence levels in our relationships. That we sort of have this internal barometer of how confident are we in our relationship to navigate difficult circumstances. And so high relationship efficacy would mean, oh, I have a high confidence that the challenges of life that my relationship can overcome during difficulty. And lower efficacy would be like, I don't really believe that our relationship can survive the stress of life. And so kind of unsurprisingly, that, you know, the more satisfied someone in their relationship is, the more confident they are in their couple's ability to navigate difficult circumstances. Additional things that were associated with relationship satisfaction is secure attachment, so our ability to connect with a romantic partner. Uh, also, self-esteem, that the more satisfied we're in our relationships, the higher our appraisal of our self-worth. Uh, one of the interesting things that also emerged is that people that were highly satisfied in the relationship engage in less emotional suppression, meaning they don't hide how they feel as often. And so the inverse being, when you're, you know, you're happy in your relationships, you're able to express your emotions freely. And unsurprisingly, one of the strongest finding within my research is that relationship satisfaction is highly associated with sexual satisfaction. And we'll have an episode exploring sexuality with intimate relationships later this season. But overall, the spoiler alert is, hey, the closer couples feel together outside of sex, the closer they'll feel together during and after sex. So now we've kind of established that, all right, we know that relationships matter with our subjective well-being. We know that the majority of individuals hope to partner at some time during their life. And some of the benefits of being in a quality relationship, the next step is, well, how, how do I have a happy, quality relationship? And one of the concepts I introduced the couples to that I'm working with clinically is the idea of bids for connection. Originally pioneered by Dr. John Gottman, bids for connection are really quite simple and are actually everywhere. The idea behind a bid is that anytime a partner says, does, or invites you into their world, it really is a bid to connect. And if it's a bid to connect, that meaning can be created in these small everyday interactions. And I love bids because sometimes we think relationships are built off of big extravagant things. It's by going on lots of trips. It's by going on to lots of fancy dinners. And it's, it's sort of the, 
wow, I have to make everything big to make it meaningful. When the deep reality of relationships is, the small everyday interactions are more predictive of overall couple satisfaction than the amount of big events someone goes to. So a bid is simply any time your partner says, hey, what'd you think of the weather? Or did you see this thing in the news? Anytime they have an invitation to join them in their world is a bid to connect. And the magic of a bid really comes in the way that we respond. When a partner puts a bid to connect, we have three options. We can turn towards the bid, which would be we recognize as an opportunity to connect and we respond positively to it. So they say, hey, did you see the sports score? And you're like, oh, no, what, what is it? That's you're, you're turning towards the bid. Because at the end of the day, it's really not about the sports score. It's about, wow, my partner is trying to bring me into their life. Okay, so your first response option is to turn toward. You could also turn against a bid. This is when someone puts a bid to connect and you respond with hostility. Right, so if they say, hey, I was thinking, why don't we go for a walk later today? And you respond by saying, uh, no, why would I want to do that with you? And sometimes we respond to bids by turning against them and it really communicates, I don't value you and I don't recognize the vulnerability you're putting into this relationship. The third option is to turn away. And unfortunately, this is when we simply ignore or we miss the bid. One additional thing that's really interesting about bids for connection is that we oftentimes, before we you know, bid about something sensitive or vulnerable, we might sort of bid to connect on something more surface level, kind of testing the waters to know, hey, if they turn towards this bid positively, it may lead to more intimate bids. And so it's so important that couples, when they're trying to nurture the relationship, is to slow down and recognize what are the bids that my partner is submitting into my life and then how do I want to respond to them. So the happiest couples tend to have more bids than unhappy couples. They also, they turn towards bids more often than unhappy couples. So the main sort of takeaway with this idea is with bids to connect is that if you want to increase the quality of your relationship, A, be more mindful and intentional about the bids you are currently submitting to your partner. So if you have not bid to connect in a while, I invite you to consider how might I be more intentional about the bids that I am submitting? And then B, how am I responding to my partner's bids to connect? And the beautiful thing that happens is when partners are intentional about the bids they're putting into the world as well as the ones they're responding to, they tend to have just more positivity in their relationship in general, which leads to an additional sort of finding from Gottman's research is establishing this sort of golden ratio of positive to negative interactions within relationships where for every one negative interaction a couple has, they need to have a minimum of at least five positive interactions to sort of counterweight and counterbalance that the impact of that negative interaction. And so one simple sort of takeaway from Bids to Connect is it is a really powerful way to increase the amount of positive interactions. and Therefore, you have a higher ratio of positive to negative interactions within your relationship. So five to one really is sort of baseline. That's that's sort of the, the baseline of what we would hope would exist in a happy relationship. Because what happens is if a relationship gets, you know, four to one, three to one, two to one, people start to lose confidence in the relationship. And the more negative interactions occur, the more likely negative interactions are going to occur. 
And so turning towards bids is a really important way for couples to sort of turn around a negative uh, interaction dynamic that's occurring. And research is pretty clear. Couples don't divorce because of negative interactions. They divorce because of a lack of positive interactions, meaning couples can weather some significant challenges as long as there's this counterweight and counterbalance of enough positive interactions to override the difficult interactions that are just going to be part of doing relationships with imperfect people. So five to one really is not the end goal, right? As couples continually turn towards bid, they're better able to sort of increase the ratio where it's not just five to one, it's now 10 to one, 15, 20 to one. That Gottman calls, you know, marriage masters, couples that master sort of a 20 to one positive to negative interaction ratio. Now, one of the things that's often misunderstood with the ratio of positive interactions is the value of having negative interactions with a partner. One of the biggest mistakes I see couples make as they start couples therapy is some have a tendency to become conflict avoidant. We're trying to build positivity in the relationship and people make the mistake of thinking, well, I'll do that by just not bringing up the issues. And if I don't bring up the issues, then we won't have any problems. And the, the issue with that line of thinking is that if you never have conflict as a couple, you don't get to build relationship efficacy. And you might remember that from earlier, but again, just as a reminder, relationship efficacy is your confidence in your relationship to do difficult things. So when there is a conflict in a relationship, there's also potential for a connection. And so as a couple has a negative interaction and they navigate it well, one of the things that leads to is increased relationship efficacy. Their confidence in the relationship increases. However, when there is a negative interaction and they don't manage it well, then their confidence decreases. So let's tie everything together real quick. So when it comes to nurturing your romantic relationships, be mindful of what are the current bids to connect that are being put in there, both by you and your partner. If you need more, bid more. Also, if you want to increase the likelihood of your partner bidding, turn towards their bids more often. Try to avoid turning against bids where you meet opportunities to connect with hostility and try to limit the amount of times that are turning away to a bid by simply ignoring it. As you do this, you will increase your positive to negative interaction ratio and you can do this without becoming conflict avoidant. And we'll address conflict later uh, in the season as well. So for this episode's application assignment, I want you to engage in an intervention I often use with couples called the secret gift list. This was introduced to me by one of my mentors, Dr. Brant Gardner from Oklahoma State University. So to do this, you're going to get with your partner and you're each going to identify what are three things that you could do more of or less of during the next week that your partner would view as a gift. And you have to select things that you actually are committed to doing. So don't put take a trip to Paris unless you're able to actually take a trip to Paris this next week. But remember that, you know, the small things within relationships make the biggest difference. So as you're identifying the things on your list, simply select, you know, three things that you can do that you know your partner would delight in. Okay, so you both have created a list of three things you're committed to doing for your partner this next week. And the rules are this. You can't talk about what's on your list. What you do, though, is you watch your partner, and by the end of the week, you try to accurately identify what three things were on your partner's list. So all week long, in addition to doing the things that you, you're going to do for your partner, 
you're watching what they're doing like a hawk and you're trying to identify what three specific things they put on their list. After a week, you're going to get together and you're going to try to guess what three things was on each other's list. So you rock, paper, scissors, or decide however makes sense to you guys to have one partner say, okay, the three things that were on your list this week were X, Y, and Z. And then the partner then says how accurate they were in identifying the things that was on their list. And then you swap spots and your partner would respond and say, hey, these things were on your list and you provide feedback on what was or wasn't on your list. Overall, I'm going to share a little bit of spoiler alert. It doesn't really matter what was on your list. But what matters is you were paying attention to the ways your partner was striving to add value in your life. And anytime a partner adds value to your life, it is a gift. All right, that concludes this week's episode on the Zest for Life podcast. Remember, the relationships you want to have aren't going to happen by accident. So be intentional and go build it. Stay zesty, friends.